Hello everybody, and welcome to Get Lit Minute, your weekly podcast for all things poetic, poetry, and poets. This series is produced by Get Lit Words Ignite, which is a nonprofit organization that uses poetry and spoken word to increase literacy and empower young people. My name is Nia Lewis. In this podcast, we focus on the lives, history, and works of classic poets and modern-day contemporary poets. This poet has been in the Get Lit anthology since day one, and I am so excited to introduce this beautiful poet today. So here's the wonderful life of Gwendolyn Brooks. Gwendolyn Elizabeth Brooks was born on June 7, 1917 in Topeka, Kansas. When Brooks was six weeks old, her family moved to Chicago during the Great Migration. Chicago was a big part of Brooks' life, saying, Living in the city... I wrote differently than I would have if I had been raised in Topeka, Kansas. I'm an organic Chicagoan. I hope to live there the rest of my days. That's my headquarters. Gwendolyn Brooks started writing at a very early age, and her mother would often tell her she would become the next Paul Lawrence Dunbar, a well-known poet, novelist, and playwright of the late 19th century and the early 20th century. She published her first poem, Eventide, at 13 years old in a children's magazine entitled American Children. That's not even the crazy part. When she was 16, she had already written and published 75 poems. That is so amazing. That is so crazy. And that's absolutely amazing. And I wish I've had that many poems published. During her time in high school, she continued publishing her works with many publications, and by the time she graduated in 1935, she was a regular contributor to the Chicago Defender. Many of her poems ranged in ballads and sonnets with a blues rhythm. She liked to draw on the inner city life in her characters, saying, I lived in a small second floor apartment at the corner, and I could look first on one side and then the other. That was my material. Her works also received encouragement from well-known poets such as Langston Hughes, Richard Bright, and James Weldon Johnson. James Weldon Johnson actually gave her her first critique on her poems when she was only 16 years old. After high school, Brooks didn't want to pursue a four-year college education because she knew she wanted to be a writer and she just wasn't a scholar. And I feel that college just isn't for everyone and that's okay. And I think that the pressure of going to college is ridiculous. There should be no pressure. It's just not for everyone and we have to respect that. Writing was her passion and she knew that she was always going to be a writer. Instead, She went to a two-year college, Wilson Junior College, and today it's known as Kennedy King College. After college, she worked for the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. During this time, she really started to develop her craft by going to poetry workshops and writing even more poems, most of which were focused on the urban Black experience. Through this, she was able to create her first collection, A Street in Bronzeville, which was published in 1945. Her book had earned instant critical acclaim for its authentic and textured portraits of life in Bronzeville. Well-known author Richard Wright had beautiful things to say about a street in Bronzeville, saying, There is no self-pity here, not a striving for effects. She takes a hold of reality as it is and renders it faithfully. 
she casually catches the pathos of pity destinies, the whimper of the wounded, the tiny accidents that plague the lives of desperately poor, and the problem of color prejudice among Negroes. In 1946, Gwendolyn Brooks was awarded the Guggenheim Fellow and was included in the Mademoiselle magazine's list of 10 young women of the year. In 1949, she published her second book of poetry, Annie Allen. This collection guided you through the life and experiences of a young black girl developing into womanhood in Bronzeville. In 1950, she was awarded the Pulitzer Prize for Poetry and was awarded Poetry Prize's Eunice Tijens Prize. During this time, she also wrote her first and only novel, Maud Martha. This novel tells a story in 34 short vignettes of the life of Maud Martha Brown, a young black woman who is trying to navigate and find where she fits into this world. In the story, Maud is not only dealing with the prejudice from white people, but from black people of lighter complexion. This was a mirror of Brooks' experience in life and I think that this is still a problem today. Colorism is very big and is a problem that many people face. I've read and heard comments from people who wish they were lighter or they couldn't really find the beauty in having a darker skin tone, which I think it's so crazy that we still haven't grown out of the colorist views. In a Black World review, Annette Oliver Stans says, Brooks doesn't specify traits, niceties, or assets for the members of the black community to acquire in order to attain their just rights. So, this is not a novel to inspire social advancement on the part of fellow blacks, nor does it say be poor, black, and happy. The message is to accept the challenge of being human and to assert humanness with urgency. I really love her analysis of the novel, and I think that last part, accept the challenge of being human and to assert humanness with urgency. And that is something we're still trying to figure out. Like, how do we assert humanness with urgency? I'm constantly thinking that. I constantly think that we don't do anything urgent. I think sometimes we have actions that kind of just set us back. And I feel like almost it's hard for us to accept the challenge of being human. I think that's why we can't do anything urgent. It's because we haven't accepted that challenge yet. I think a lot of us dwell on what we like, what we love, what we hate. Sometimes the things we like and love aren't in the interest of others. And yes, it's almost hard for us to assert humanness with urgency when there are people who are not even willing to accept us for who we are, who aren't willing to love us for who we are. In a way, I kind of feel like if we want to assert humanness with urgency, it's like we almost have to forget that those people exist. And it's kind of hard. And it's like, how can you accept the challenge of what becomes human when so many people are raining on your parade and stepping on your lane? And I think that that's what's hard. And I still feel like we're trying to figure it out. We haven't figured out that yet. So back to Gwendolyn Brooks. Brooks later took a stronger approach on politics. And some said that it was an intense awareness to color and justice. And you could really see the shift in her writing. Many believed that her political views really changed after she attended the second Black Writers Conference at Fisk University, which is a historically Black college. 
She met activists like Amiri Baraka and Don LV, who exposed her to a new black cultural nationalism. She started to have a more black nationalist view and really pushed away from any of her prior political connections. In 2003, at the age 83, Gwendolyn Brooks passed away in her home in Chicago. Gwendolyn Brooks lived an amazing life and she really inspired many. She won many awards, such as the Robert Frost Medal, Shelley Memorial Award of Poetry of America, and the Order of Lincoln, which is the highest honor granted by the state of Illinois. Her legacy has lived on, and now she has schools named after her, cultural centers, writing programs, she even had a postage stamp of her face, and her legacy is living on in this podcast. And to show you guys how amazing she was, I'll be reading her poem that'll be featured in our Get Lit anthology entitled, To the Young Who Want to Die. This poem is a call out to those who feel like they don't have a grasp on life and are willing to end it. And this poem says, wait, because you don't know what tomorrow looks like. And Brooke says, I assure you, death will wait. So here's Gwendolyn Brooks' poem entitled, To the Young Who Want to Die. Sit down. Inhale. Exhale. The gun will wait. The lake will wait. The tall goal in the small seductive veil will wait. Will wait. Will wait a week. Will wait through April. You don't have to die this certain day. Death will abide. Will pamper your postponement. I assure you, death will wait. Death has a lot of time. Death can attend to you tomorrow or next week. Death is right down the street. The most obliging neighbor can meet you at any moment. You need not die today. Stay here. Through pout or pain or peskiness, stay here. See what the news is going to be tomorrow. Graves grow no green that you can use. Remember, green's your color. You are spring. I love this poem. There's kind of this trend going on social media where people are telling their stories of how they lost someone to suicide. And as soon as I read this poem, I immediately thought of that and how people just couldn't wait to see what the news was going to be tomorrow or had any thoughts of believing that green was their color and that they were spring. And I've known people who have had thoughts of wanting to kill themselves and they've even called me in the moment and just hearing those words is something that's very hard to grasp. And I feel like this is a poem we need to have every single day hanging up as a poster in our room to remind us that green is our color and that we are spring and that sometimes tomorrow will be better or the next day or maybe months by but everything is going to get better and that's why i truly love this poem so thank you guys so much for tuning in with us on all things gwendolyn brooks make sure you share this podcast with your friends and family members and i'll see you guys next week
Get Lit Minute is a production of Get Lit Words Ignite. This podcast is produced by Samuel Curtis, executive produced by Diane Luby Lane, and engineered by Peter Davis. This episode was researched, written, and edited by me, Nia Lewis, alongside Bridget Yang. Lucas Lane is our digital editor, and our editorial advisors are Kelly Grace Thomas and Colleen Hamilton. Special thanks to the entire Get Lit staff and donors who made this work possible, the teachers who use this podcast to educate their students, and to all students of life everywhere for tuning in and spending time with us today. If you want to hear more of our episodes, this podcast is available wherever you listen to podcasts and on our website, getlit.org. That is G-E-T-L-I-T dot O-R-G. 